You're listening to the weekly podcast of Cayo, the youth ministry of the Father's House in Owensboro, Kentucky. Cayo is a healthy home for teens who are loved like family as sons and daughters that embrace their kingdom identity and purpose to change the world. At Cayo, your home. Let's jump in. We're going to pray. We're going to get started, get going. I don't want to be too long, so let's get going. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. Welcome you in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way. I pray, Lord, that everyone in here has an open heart, open mind, open eyes, and open ears, Father. Whatever's on our phone, we're going to put it away for just a little while. Whatever's distracting us or stressing us out, that homework or that paper or that quiz coming up, we're just going to lay that aside for about the next 30 minutes, and God, we're going to give you space. We're going to give you time, and it's all you. Lord, give me the utterance to preach and teach and make it plain and understandable. I'm going to get out of your way in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, last we've been talking about a new series called Secret Origin. Last week, we talked about shame. And many of you guys nailed your shame up here on the cross. And that Jesus carried our shame so that you and I don't have to anymore. And that God doesn't call us out by our mistakes, our failures, and our sins. But God calls us out by our name and not our shame. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about a time I didn't feel like good enough. I was thinking of a lot of stories today about times maybe I felt like I wasn't good enough, I wasn't worthy enough. Uh, I remember being in eighth grade and trying out for the basketball team that I'd played on uh, a couple years before. And for some reason, I didn't make the team. And sometimes when you have a moment like that, you're like, am I good enough? Am I good enough? What was wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me as a player? You know, I can't help that the coach didn't write my name down on the roster two times, three times. He already had his team. Now, you say, Pastor Daryl, you're trying to claim politics. I'm going to tell you, somehow all the other coaches knew my name because I was on their roster but not the head coach. Why? I don't know. And I still don't know to this day. If I saw that coach, I'd ask him in a heartbeat, why? Was I not good enough? Was I not worthy enough? Sometimes you're in a relationship. And that relationship, whether you're in middle school or high school and beyond, Sometimes you wonder, what went wrong? Is there something wrong with me? I was telling my wife today about, I was asking her about a funny story. I think I've told it many times before. But I remember being in seventh grade and having my first kiss in seventh grade. Now, hang on. I mean, real kiss. Not from grandma. I remember seventh grade. I, there was this girl I liked and I liked, and I remember I, we, went to, we went to the zoo in Evansville, and we spent the whole day there, all of our class in middle school, and I remember I was eyeing her the whole day, and then I happened to tell her best friend who sat next to me in homeroom how much I liked her friend, and then she spoke on my behalf as the middleman. Suddenly, her friend and I became boyfriend-girlfriend, and then I'm kind of like, what do I do now? I'm going to look stupid on the bus talking to her. Now it's official. What do I do now? This is something I wanted for a while. What do I do? Who can relate to my story? If you, yeah, go ahead, raise your hands. Come on. What do I do now? You know, and I remember like, I remember my first kiss at a seventh grade dance. I remember uh, I had to, back then, you didn't have text messages and DMs. You had notes. You passed notes around. And you would uh, check yes or no. Do you want to kiss at the dance? Yes. Or no? Well, of course, 
in my stupid brain back then, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's like kind of an easy answer. You're going to check yes, right? But then you're like, what do I do now? Do I even know what I'm doing? Oh, you don't need to do it. You can't even eat a, a slice of pizza right, let alone do this. By the way, my wife's over there probably laughing at me. I'm not afraid to make fun of myself. So the thing that made it so awkward, it wasn't the kiss. By the way, no public displays of affection means no kissing, no cuddling, no snuggling, no holding hands in here. For the record, that's the rule. Now, I'm in the gym, and I'm sitting on top of the basketball cages, or the basketball, uh, where you put the basketball bin, where you put all the basketballs in, basically. And uh, her friend is on one side, her boyfriend's on my side, and everybody's watching us. And the pressure's on. What do I do? Am I going to, like, completely fail here? Am I going to, like, uh, I've got to go to the bathroom and find uh, some way out of this situation? Because there's all these eyeballs on me. You guys ever felt that way? All the eyeballs, everybody's just watching you? It can be kind of awkward. Long story short, that was my first kiss at that dance. But man, it was awkward. It didn't feel good enough. It didn't feel right. So I'd say, Pastor Daryl, what was wrong with it? It was just awkward. It was weird. Like, everybody's watching you. It just, something about it just seemed off. You guys, am I making sense? Right? It's kind of like whether you're in class and, like, you knock something off, and then everybody just, like, trashes you and clowns on you and roasts on you and makes you feel like crap, even though all you did was accidentally knock something off. Everybody's just glad it's not them, so they make fun of you. What am I getting at? What I'm getting at is sometimes we don't feel good enough. Sometimes we don't feel worthy enough, and sometimes we don't, like, it's like, and it isn't so much what we think, but we give so much power to what everybody else thinks. We give so much power to what everybody else has to say, and that's just something we really have to be careful with. See, sometimes we don't feel good enough, but I'm glad that God has hope for us. So when we look at the story of Moses, Exodus 3, 5, and 6, God, remember, God spoke to him through a burning bush, Moses, Moses, and he calls him out. And it says here in verse 5, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, because Moses, I don't know, but he's like, what? He's like, burning bush. And he's like, of course he's going to check it out. If that chair started catching on fire and said, Daryl, Daryl, of course I'm going to go, ooh, what is that? If somebody says, hundo, hundo, are you going to check out if that's a real $100 bill? Free hundo. You going to take it? Of course you're going to check it out. By the way, strangers with candy, beware. All right. But it says, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he replies, do not come any closer. Or he's really saying, he's not saying don't come closer, he's saying stop coming near. Okay, it's kind of similar but a little different. And then he says, take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the Lord, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. So in this situation, he asked him to take off his sandals. Why? See, Moses is immediately scared in the presence of God and says, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. See, shame is a funny thing. Remember, Moses murdered somebody and hid the body and then ran. Pharaoh tried to kill him, and he ran for his life and hid in the wilderness for 40 years. And he moved on. 
mostly. A lot of times we think we can outrun our problems, but our problems always follow us. The dead body is always just waiting to be found. I told you guys about my dream last week. The dead body is always waiting to be found. See, shame says I'm not worthy, but God says you are worthy. See, God invites you into his presence despite any shame or sin. Everybody say, God invites me into his presence. So God is inviting you and I into his presence right now. When we were singing worship, when Nathan was talking, when Trisha was talking, when they're singing, we're being invited into the presence of God. You guys don't know this, but you are standing on holy ground. These walls were prayed for and anointed. If you were to look under this gray paint, you would see finger, handprints and fingerprints of people that anointed this, these walls with oil. And by the way, the Holy Spirit, his symbol, one of his symbols is oil. And that the presence of God is in this place, sealed and ready for you to encounter at any time. And God is every Wednesday, at any time we're in here, even alien, God is inviting you into his presence. But he says, take off your sandals. See, Moses has to take something off to be in God's presence. See, to take off your sandals or your shoes just basically means out of respect. So he'd take his shoes off just out of a symbol of respect. You go in somebody's house, and do you take the shoes off when you walk in? Anybody? Don't get the carpet dirty. Why? It's a sign of respect to the house, the homeowners, right? You come into my house. I'm just going to ask you to take your shoes off just, just because there's not a lot of space to walk in. And if it's raining, it gets everywhere. See, Moses has to humble himself to come into his presence. See, God is inviting Moses. God is inviting you and me into submission, into humility, to humble ourselves. See, to humble ourselves, we act like that's a bad thing. Like, we think, like, humbling ourselves just means to, like, I don't know, like we're somehow less than, not good enough, but to humble ourselves just kind of goes, hey, I'm self-aware. You know what? To come into the presence of God, I'm not good enough. See, Moses is not good enough. He just murdered somebody, but yet God calls him by name and says, hey, bro, I'm inviting you into my presence. I'm inviting you into a relationship with me. I'm not pointing out your failures and your flaws. I'm calling you out by name because I have a purpose and a plan for you. See, Moses, remember Moses' name means to be pulled out of, and God calls Moses to pull. He not only pulled him out of the water, but he pulled Moses out of the water so that he could rescue the Israelites, God's people, out of 420 years of slavery. I mean, think about it. 420 years of slavery, it's a long time. It's a lot of suffering. And the thing is, God knows about our suffering. You had a bad day today? You've had a rough week? Maybe not today, but you've had one sometime, and God knows your suffering. God knows your hurt. God knows your pain. God cares about your pain. You ever have somebody go, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? And do you ever have somebody actually sit there and lean in and listen to you? Or do they kind of just start talking about something else? Because some people, hey, how you doing, is like a hello to them. But when I ask, hey, how you're doing, or when somebody asks me, hey, how you're doing, I'm about to unload a 15-minute story on you. Not everybody's ready for that, Ava. But see, Moses, God knows of our suffering. And he's saying, hey, I know it. I see it. 
See, God sees your suffering and he comes to your rescue. God sees shame. God sees sin. God sees hurt. God sees pain. And he's ready to come to your rescue and my rescue tonight. That's how much God loves us. And that's how much God loves you. See, it says in Exodus 3, 7 through 10, it says the Lord told him, and I want you to pay attention to this verse. There's a, if we put it up on the screen, uh, it says, I have certainly seen, look, it says he's seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. He says, I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. I am aware of their suffering. God is aware of what we're going through. God sees what we're going through. God hears what you're going through. Then he says, here's the cool thing about this. In verse 8, he says, so I have come down. I have come down to rescue them. God's not up in some lofty palace not doing anything for them. God is saying, I am coming down. I am coming down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt. And I'm going to lead them into a fertile, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the best of the best. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. See, God, I'm just going to be honest, that's kind of a precursor for Jesus. Whether that's theologically completely 110% accurate, I can tell you, God says, I've come down to rescue them. I've seen it, I've heard it, and the time has come for me to cash in on evil. Isaiah 61 says that God is a God of justice. See, God doesn't ignore wrongs. Despite what culture likes to tell us, God doesn't ignore wrongs. God only rights wrongs. But it isn't always in our microwave, uh, text message, high-speed Wi-Fi timing. See, Moses doubts himself, but God reassures him and gives him instructions. Has anybody ever asked you to do something big and you're not sure you could do it? I can tell you right now, I've asked my lit team to do some things over the last year and a half. And there's times that they think they can't do it, but I wouldn't ask them to do it if I didn't believe, if I thought they couldn't do it. If I asked you to come up here and pray for somebody, I wouldn't ask you to do that if I didn't think you could do it. If I were to come and ask you to fix the, the electrical uh, outlets in the building, I'm not going to ask you to do it unless I know or think you can do it. Right, Nathan? So the thing is, Moses doubts himself. We doubt ourselves when it comes to God. Could God be calling you and inviting you despite shame, despite sin, despite suffering, despite hurt and pain? He's saying, hey, I love you. I'm inviting you into a life, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm inviting you to a life that is better. I'm inviting you into something that will satisfy you. That boy or girl is not going to satisfy you. Look, some of you all in middle school, you may not know that yet. Some of you are in high school, you might be starting to kind of feel that. At the end of the day, they're not going to satisfy you. That job that pays you money and that stuff you can buy, it will not satisfy you. You will find more stuff to buy. I always tell people, once you start working, you're going to keep working because there's more stuff to buy. Then there's bills to pay. And you have to notice, Moses doubts himself, but God takes a lot of time to speak to him. But he never tells Moses, you know what, Moses? Oh, man, don't be sad. Don't doubt yourself. You can do it, buddy. He doesn't do that. You know what, Moses, don't be so hard on yourself. You just need encouragement. He doesn't say that. 
He doesn't say, you know what, Moses, maybe you should sit this one out until you're ready. He doesn't say that either. He literally says, he says this. Moses goes, and he says, who am I to go before Pharaoh, and who am I to lead the people? Who am I? God has been speaking to some of you in the room, and he's asking you to do something bigger. He's called you to life of mission and purpose. He's called you to some greater destiny, and you're saying, who am I? God's saying, he's saying the next verse, verse 12, I will be with you. This is your sign that I'm the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God at this very mountain. Moses argues again, if I go to the people and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name and what shall I tell them? He says, God replies, I am who I am. Say to this, I am has sent me to you. And he goes down and says, this is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. God says, I am that I am. God, the fact that we even call God God is not even a name. It's a status. It's a title. It's a category. It's, a, it's, it's like means deity. His real name is Elohim or Yahweh. We can get into the Hebrew later. Point is, that's his name. He is I am. He just is. He is. He is in everything. He is I am. He is present, always. He doesn't sugarcoat anything with Moses. He doesn't tell Moses who he is or isn't. He tells Moses who he himself is. Some of you guys need to remember. You need to know who God is. The character of God is trustworthy. He doesn't tell Moses who Moses is. He tells Moses who he is. Some of y'all are trying to figure out answers to big questions, and you're never going to find them apart from God. Trust me. Trust me. Some of you guys, when we talk about suffering, suffering to you means no Wi-Fi. Suffering to you means no cell phone. Suffering. I'm here to tell you. When we're hurting, that's when we need to lean in who God is. See, at the end of the day, God is telling Moses to trust him and just go. I come in here every Wednesday. We preach a message. We worship the Lord, and then we have fun, and then everybody leaves. We'll come back. We'll have a mighty move of God in this room, and I'll see you in two days, and it's like nothing happened. How is that possible? Was it just emotion? Or maybe, just maybe, You've taken your eyes off God. You've taken your eyes off the Son of God, Jesus. But God is asking you to live for him. God is asking you. He's inviting you into a relationship. He's inviting you into life everlasting. And life everlasting doesn't start when we die. It starts the moment we trust in him. Many of you guys have come to this altar. You've come to us in prayer. You've come to us in one-on-one conversations. Follow Jesus. You know, I've said before in Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing the word of God. It never says understanding. Faith comes first before understanding. Some of you guys are waiting for everything to be explained to you, every duck in a row and every scientific fact. And the thing is, understanding will come if you put faith first. All right, God, fine, I'm all in. See, the cool thing is, is Moses, God does one of the coolest things in this scripture in this next moment. 
It says in Exodus 3.19, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless he is forced by a strong hand. So I will reach out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he'll let you go. And I will grant, check this out, I will grant this people favor and respect in the sight of the Egyptians. Therefore, it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. God has not called you to go home empty-handed every Wednesday, every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday. Anytime you come into his presence, you don't go home empty-handed. But he says, every woman, notice it says women, every woman shall insistently ask, this applies to men too, folks, every woman shall insistently ask her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for articles of silver, gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and daughters. And this way you are to plunder the Egyptians, leaving bondage with great possessions that are rightfully yours. See, God promises to give you favor, and he promises to restore everything that you've lost. Somebody in this room needs to hear that. There's pain and hurt that you're carrying, and it's not your fault. Some of it is your fault. Sometimes it's not your fault. Some, some suffering and some shame doesn't come from choices we've made, but others, have they've made them for us. They were forced upon people. But God says, hey, everything you've lost, I'll give you favor, and I'll restore everything you've lost. I'll restore your dignity. I'll restore your honor. I'll restore your respect. I'll restore your purity. I'll restore even material gain, money, gold, silver, and clothing. You know, when I was 11 years old, if I knew this verse, I wouldn't have believed it if somebody told me. We lost our house. We got it back, but it took about four years. You know, there was a time in my life when I walked with God, and my marriage was a mess. I was broken. I was hurting. I was lost. I was confused. I had been hurt by people in the church as well. My marriage was a mess. I was a mess. Trisha and I will personally attest that we took care of everybody else, but we didn't take care of us. I was at a point. There are times I've thought about some of the worst things, some of the darkest things ever. Do I still want to live? You know, it's funny, I forgot about this until recently. I was convinced there was no hope. I was convinced that my marriage was never going to get better. Because I bought into a lie that Satan had sold me. See, if he can't kill and destroy you, he'll steal your joy, he'll steal your hope, he'll steal your peace, he'll steal your respect, he'll steal your dignity, and he'll steal your honor. But God always restores the things that we've lost. There was a lot of dreams that I buried, just like that dead body last week. There's a lot of things I buried, but it's only because I said, okay, God, yes, I'm going to trust you. Okay, God, I'm going to die to self. You know what, God? I'm going to work on me. You know what, God? I'm going to work on you and me again because somehow one day I woke up and I was here and God was all the way there in the parking lot when we used to be like this. How'd that happen? He didn't leave. I did. By choices I made. Lies I bought into. And then I made some bad choices. 
And I began to wear shame like a suit. See, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ became sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God, that we would be good enough, that we would be worthy to come into his presence always. See, God wants to remove our shame, and he wants to restore us. God wants to re remove your shame, and he wants to restore you 100%. See, it's kind of like this, man. Your faith, your faith starts out like when you trust in Jesus, it's kind of like this nice suit, right? I got this blazer, had it for a little bit. But over time, you know, you tend to, I don't know, you tend to make some choices along the way, right? You tend to make some choices along the way. You're alone late at night on your phone, getting kind of comfortable, and then you do a little Google search. And then you start clicking around. Then you find yourself in a few kinds of traps. And then suddenly, you wake up and your suit doesn't quite look the same. So your suit doesn't look the same. But that suit doesn't quite look the same. Oh, wait. Wait, 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 wait. Kyo's coming on Wednesday. Wait a second. Wait a second. Let me put this back on. And then there's nothing to see. Everything's perfectly fine. And then, boy meets girl. You meet little toaster strudel. She meets boo bear. You're having a Bible study one night in your living room. Mom and dad are there. Your eyes meet as you look at John 3.16. And then suddenly, you realize mom and dad are not in the living room anymore. Your eyes meet, toaster strudel and boo bear. Then you're on the couch, you get a little horizontal, and then you realize, wait a second, I don't, I don't, I don't need this. But wait a second, how did that happen? Oh, man, and suddenly, you know, things progressed a little bit, maybe went too far. Wait, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on, I got to go to basketball practice. Once again, nothing to see. Perfectly fine, right? What happens over time? 
what happens over time, we make sin, we, we, yes, we sin, we make bad decisions, we make compromises. And then some of you guys, it may not be anything that drastic, you know. You think, hey, man, it won't be fun with Jesus. But let me take this jacket off, right? And then some of you guys have a gossip problem. You love to gossip about everybody else. Some of you guys have a lying problem. Like, man, I'm just going to lie a little bit, no big deal. It's not going to hurt anybody, right? Some of y'all, it could be drugs, could be alcohol, could be any number of things. But suddenly, after all these compromises, So suddenly, suddenly sin and shame becomes what we wear. But wait a minute, church is coming on Sunday. Nothing to see. But the thing is, so here's the thing. We think nobody else sees it. God already sees it. But over time, shame, sin, suffering, hurt, it's all going to start flowing from the inside out. And this perfect suit is now ripped and ruined. But the cool thing is, the cool thing is, is that God says, everything you've lost, I'll restore. You lost your purity in, in scenario B? I can give that back. You can get your purity back. You can get your purity back. You know what? Your dignity, your respect, your honor, he says, I can give that back. Your hope, your peace, and your joy that you used to have, I can give that back to you. And he's inviting you in. It says in it says in the scriptures, Colossians 3 9 says, it says, put off the old self and put on the new self. See what you really need is see Jesus offer Jesus offers us an invitation that despite whatever decisions we've made, despite whatever shame we may carry, despite whatever suffering and hurt and pain we have, he's got a brand new suit. And it's ready. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is just and faithful to forgive us. And those sins are forgotten as far as the east is to the west. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads for just a moment. Revelation 21, 5 says that Jesus makes all things new. So, we're going to take a minute. I want you guys to think. I want you to pray. See, shame has become the very thing I wear, but God never designed me to wear shame. See, God wants to replace shame. He wants to remove all shame, and he wants to restore everything that we've lost. He wants to restore you completely. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to challenge you to think, does this speak to you? Are you one of these scenarios are you covering all this up? Because it's pretty obvious. 
Are you hiding things? See, nobody's here to point a finger at you. God has come to set you free. Jesus Christ died on the cross to set you free. See, if you expose it, God will erase it. If you'll stop hiding it, God will heal it. If you'll uncover it, he'll cover it with the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus covers all sins. I'm going to ask my leaders, squad leaders, to come up here. I want you to ask yourself, if this spoke to you in any way, with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking to the left or to the right. If you're, if you're this suit, God is sitting here saying, hey, I've come to set you free. I've come to restore everything you've lost. I'm inviting you into my presence. And sometimes you got to take off shame. And you got to take off sin. And you got to take off hurt and pain when you come into the presence of God, like when you take off sandals like Moses did. You are good enough to come into God's presence. You are worthy because Jesus Christ makes you worthy because of what he did on the cross. But he's inviting you to go, hey, Will you give this to me? Will you take all this off and give it to me? Will you take off shame and sin? Will you give that up? Will you remove it? Will you let it go? You right now, if this speaks to you with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If I'm talking to you, I just want you to lift up your hand right now. Anybody in this room, if this speaks to you, say, hey, this is me. There's one. There's two. Anybody else, just say, hey, this is me. This is me. Nobody looking around. There's two of you so far. Three, four. Six, seven, eight. I want all you guys to stand up as you're kind of meditating on this. If you are in here and you really, you're like, hey man, I need to take this off. I want you to come up here to a leader and let us pray for you. Let us pray for you. I want you to be bold. I want you to do something. I want you to come up here. Nobody's thinking any less of you. Nobody even knows your story. I want you to share these leaders with 100% confidence. We're going to pray for you. And we're going to, if you'll expose it before God, if you'll uncover it, he'll cover it with the blood of Jesus. He'll heal you. And he'll restore everything you've lost. I'm just going to go ahead and invite you to come on up here. Leaders are waiting for you. Come on up here. Let's not hide anymore and let's let the Lord heal this permanently and let's just, let's move on and let him restore that which has been lost. Jesus, Lord, I thank you. Lord, that all the hope and the joy and the peace that's been stolen, all the hurt and the suffering that young people in the room have been carrying, some people are carrying shame that was never theirs to even decide to carry. It was forced upon them. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would begin to heal them, that you're inviting them into your presence. You're inviting them. They're not dirty. Somebody's done something to make you feel dirty. That's not God. He wants to restore everything you've lost. Everything you've lost. Anybody else? If you're scared to come up here by yourself, bring, bring one person with you. Lord, we pray for freedom. Lord, we pray for healing. The healing balm of Gilead. The healing balm of Gilead in Jesus' name.
recover them from the top of their head to the tips of their toes, from the inside out. Heal them emotionally. Heal them physically. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.